Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. The relationship between physical pain and the mind is complicated, to say the least. After a serious traumatic injury, for example, it's expected that a patient have acute pain. But some of those patients go on to experience ongoing chronic pain. How can we know who those patients will be? Mixed into this equation are psychological factors, including symptoms associated with post-traumatic stress like hyperarousal, avoidance, or psychological re-experiencing of the event. Now, we know that the symptoms of PTSD can exacerbate chronic pain, but until now, no study has prospectively looked at the association of these psychological symptoms and the experience of physical pain in the acute setting after a traumatic injury. Today, we're fortunate to have Dr. Maria Pasella as our guest. She's lead author of a recent AEM article entitled, The Association Between Daily Post-Traumatic Stress Symptoms and Pain, over the first 14 days after injury, an experience sampling study. Dr. Pasella has a PhD in experimental health psychology, and she's a research assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. She's being interviewed today by Dr. Cameron Gettle, a PGY4 in emergency medicine at Brown. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com open access through July 31st. Great to talk with you, Dr. Pasella. Just looking at the literature, would you mind providing a brief summary of the previous literature regarding injured trauma patients and their symptoms and pain? Yes, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to share some of the work we've been doing here in Pittsburgh. So while most injuries treated in the emergency department are mild in severity and do not require hospitalization, even mildly injured patients report long-term complications and delayed recovery after discharge. Specifically, between 30 to 63% of injured patients report high levels of pain and disability that persist up to one year post-injury. Given that pain is not defined as chronic until it persists for at least three months after the injury, the acute post-injury period, which is defined as the first 30 days after the injury, provides a window of opportunity to administer preventive interventions to promote recovery. At this time, however, there's a lack of research on the acute post-injury phase and on the factors contributing to the transition from acute to chronic pain. Why is that? So there's two primary factors that lead most research to focus on intervention for established pain instead of the prevention of chronic pain. So the first is that pain is complex and is influenced by several biopsychosocial factors. The second is that there are multiple obstacles associated with assessing symptoms in the days and weeks after the injury. To elaborate a little bit on the first point, the experience of pain is not the direct result of physical stimuli. Psychosocial reactions have the ability to modify the experience of pain and can mimic pain even in the absence of noxious stimuli such that simply imagining pain or distress can actually activate pain circuits in the brain. In fact, psychological response may be more important than initial pain intensity for interference with activities and quality of life that results. For example, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms or PTSD symptoms contribute to and or exacerbate physical health symptoms independent of initial injury characteristics. Interesting. 
Would you mind giving us a brief refresher on the symptoms of PTSD? Absolutely. So there are four primary symptom clusters that characterize PTSD as defined by the DSM-5. So these include intrusions or reliving the event in terms of bad memories, nightmares, or flashbacks. The avoidance cluster involves avoiding situations or people that remind you of the event or even avoiding thinking about the event. The third is alterations in cognitions and mood or negative trauma-related um, feelings and beliefs about oneself or others, um, such as guilt or shame. And finally, there's alterations in arousal and reactivity. So these symptoms include things like feeling keyed up, jittery, always on alert, um, trouble sleeping, and so on. So although diagnosis of PTSD requires these symptoms to last for at least one month after the injury, these symptoms do appear very early post-injury. Um, fortunately, these psychological processes may be amenable to intervention during the acute injury phase. And then going back a little bit to that second point you mentioned about the obstacles associated with symptoms assessment in the days and weeks following the injury, I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit for me on there. Yes. Um, so a major limitation among the existing literature is that symptom monitoring and follow-up assessments often do not occur until two to four weeks or even three months after the injury. This latter time point of three months represents the period when pain is already considered to be chronic. Although there's several recent studies that have begun to focus on acute assessments after minor injury, there are still large gaps between assessments, whereby the initial assessment will occur in hospital or one week post-injury, followed by gaps until six weeks, six months, or even one year post-injury. So these large gaps in assessment limit our understanding of recovery trajectories. Relatedly, other studies have used populations with isolated injury types, such as whiplash or motor vehicle accidents. Still other studies relied on patients presenting with chronic pain or disability after severe injury or hospitalization, with the first assessment occurring at remote timeframes, sometimes out to three years post-injury. So to better understand pain development, it's critical to assess and monitor the psychosocial factors in the acute phase of injury or in the days and early weeks after the injury occurs. This is a time frame that allows for capturing early relationships and subtle fluctuations that may maintain pain. However, um, reaching patients reliably for research pur purposes during the acute time period after an emergency department visit is logistically difficult and only recently became a practical option with the advent of mobile technology and digital communication. Great. So transitioning a bit, what were your goals and objectives for the study? Yes. So in this study, we specifically aimed to detect relationships between daily PTSD symptoms and physical pain over the first 14 days after emergency department discharge in trauma patients who had minor injury. So there were no patients in our study that were actually admitted to the hospital for their injuries. They were discharged directly from the emergency department to home. And we used experience sampling methodology or ecological momentary assessment by daily text messaging as a means to capture symptoms immediately after the injury. We expected our average response rate to the daily text messages to be about 70% or greater, and that PTSD symptoms would be positively associated with physical pain. Great. So you mentioned ESM and EMA. I'm a little bit less familiar about those. Would you mind describing them? Yes, absolutely. 
So ecological momentary assessment, or EMA for short, is the use of electronic communications to collect longitudinal data from subjects in real time. By prompting subjects on a repeated basis, this method can reveal daily fluctuations in factors such as pain, activity, and cognitive behavioral and emotional states. Text messaging is a convenient, non-invasive form of EMA that can be used to monitor symptoms in the aftermath of injury, and it poses minimal burden on patients and acute care providers. And there's recent evidence to suggest that this method could reach a wide population. Um, Most emergency department patients, about 85% of them, actually own a cell phone, and about 73% of these patients use their phone for texting. My colleague and co-author of this manuscript, Dr. Brian Cefaletto, actually pioneered the use of automated texting protocols in emergency department patients to reduce alcohol consumption, risky sexual practice, and to increase adherence to prescription medications following emergency department discharge. To date, however, only one pilot study has actually examined the feasibility of using text messages to monitor psychosocial factors and pain during the acute phase of injury. So in this usability study, Matthew Price and his colleagues sent a single text message to recent injury patients upon discharge from the trauma center each day for a period of 15 days to monitor PTSD symptoms, social support, and pain. So although their study demonstrated feasibility, their assessment of only a single text message per day, and therefore a single construct per day, precluded the ability to examine associations between daily levels of post-traumatic symptomology and pain. And their timing of the initial text message was also based on hospital discharge, which varied due to the inclusion of both hospitalized and non-hospitalized patients. So day one post-discharge actually ranged from zero to seven days after the actual injury. How did you use ESM and EMA in your study? Yeah, so as we discussed, um, previous research using EMA methods with acutely injured patients is extremely limited, and pain research is often based on snapshots that occur at a single point in time. Um, However, the relationship between post-injury psychological processes and pain could be useful in designing interventions to accelerate recovery during that acute phase. Text messaging overcomes the multiple barriers associated with data collection in the immediate aftermath of injury. These include recall bias, the clinical demands after the injury, and the burden of returning for lengthy in-person assessments. We've also had many previous successes with this technique with Dr. Cefaletto. So in this specific study, we sent five text messages per day starting on day one and continuing to day 14 post-discharge. We only enrolled patients who were being discharged from home, so the day after ED discharge was day one for each subject. The text messages were sent based on a contingency schedule within each day, wherein the second message was contingent upon a response to the first message and so on. So if a subject did not respond on a given day, they still received text message prompts on the following day. I also just wanted to briefly note that the first text message was personalized with the subject's name and stop functions were available for those who wished to withdraw from the study. Great. Very interesting. What was the content of those messages and what did they assess? There were five total items, five messages per day. Three items reflected the three DSM-4 symptom clusters of PTSD, including intrusions, avoidance, and hyperarousal. So before moving forward, I just want to make a brief note that with the publication of DSM-5, there was an addition of a fourth symptom cluster of alterations in cognitions and mood. 
that symptom cluster was not reflected in our study. So we used DSM-4 versus DSM-5 symptoms to parallel and replicate the feasibility study conducted by Price and colleagues. Additionally, brief screening assessments had yet to be established for the DSM-5 symptom clusters at the time that we started this study. So specifically, the intrusions item read, how often did you have negative memories or thoughts about the trauma today? The avoidance item read, how much have you avoided people, places, or activities that may remind you of the trauma today? And the hyperarousal item read, how much did you feel overly alert, jumpy, and or have difficulty concentrating today? One item also reflected social support. And one item reflected the outcome of physical pain. And this read, how much physical pain were you in today on a scale from 1 to 10? Fantastic. So what did you find in your results? And what was the relation of pain to post-traumatic stress symptoms? Yes. So our descriptive data revealed that patients reported high initial pain scores upon presentation to the emergency department. So they reported an average of 7 out of 10. And this average pain score actually remained at a moderate level throughout two weeks post-injury. In regards to the text messaging data, approximately 75% of subjects had a response rate of 70% or greater, and the average EMA response rate was 86%, or 12 out of 14 days. Um, So this high rate was actually despite the lack of compensation for text message responses. So we were pretty excited about that. Um, Moving forward, when subjects repeated a threat of death from their injury, they did report high pain severity on day one. Um, And there was also a change over time with pain severity decreasing throughout the entire 14 days that we assessed them. But again, this pain still remained moderate. After accounting for the effect of time, our primary model revealed that daily fluctuations in hyperarousal were uniquely associated with daily fluctuations in pain severity within each person. Social support, intrusions, and avoidance were not associated with daily pain severity. So our findings with hyperarousal specifically are consistent with prior research suggesting that hyperarousal symptoms are actually the strongest contributors to persistent post-injury pain in relation to PTSD. So the strong association between hyperarousal symptoms, PTSD, and pain may indicate that physical injury triggers physiological reactions for both pain and stress through the musculoskeletal system and the central and autonomic nervous systems. In turn, this increased physiological activity manifested as classic hyperarousal symptoms maintains and prolongs the experience of pain. Additionally, hyperarousal symptoms also increase the likelihood of developing an attentional bias to both threatening and painful stimuli. As such, the presence of post-traumatic symptomology may be particularly problematic among injured populations at risk for pain chronicity, given that PTSD symptoms contribute to and or exacerbate physical health symptoms. Great. So taking this research to the bedside, what can the ED provider improve for care of the traumatically injured patients and and how can we improve the care for this population? So that's a, a very good question. Acute care clinicians should consider setting realistic recovery expectations for patients discharged from the emergency department with minor injuries. Um, individuals may have symptoms for many days and patients with post-traumatic hyperarousal may recover more slowly after injury. 
Additionally, screening for hyperarousal symptoms of PTSD prior to hospital discharge may serve to identify high-risk trauma patients who may need more intervention and or further monitoring after the injury. Clinicians could use abbreviated versions of the PTSD checklist. Um, There are now four and eight item versions available that do briefly assess for PTSD symptoms. It's also important to keep in mind that simple physical and pharmacological approaches without psychological intervention are actually ineffective for many patients with chronic pain. Early psychological interventions aimed at addressing hyperarousal could reduce the patient experience of pain and could potentially mitigate the development of chronic pain. This would also reduce the need for more medications. Finally, I just want to raise the conversation about one more issue that is sparked by these findings. Current emergency department care is set up in a way that the physician has a limited snapshot of the patient's injury and problem, and the transaction between the physician and patient essentially ends in the hospital room. Emergency department providers then operate under the assumption that the patient will follow recommendations and seek out further ongoing care for their injuries. However, this is not always the case, especially among injured patients, and there are real repercussions for these patients. We now have the ability to collect detailed longitudinal data on post-discharge recovery with minimal burden on both patients and providers. So in this study, we show how this data can be useful to identify individuals with suboptimal recovery and who may need additional and early post-discharge care. Moving forward, our group has discussed the possibility of extending the role of the emergency care provider beyond the confines of the emergency department to encompass periods of acute recovery as well. Uh, So would you mind wrapping up the major take-home points for the listeners? Absolutely. Although the comorbidity between PTSD and chronic pain is well-established, there's little research about the temporal evolution of PTSD symptoms and pain during the acute and subacute phases after injury. And these are the phases before pain is considered to be chronic. Um, This is especially true in regards to patients with minor injury. So here we've shown how acute hyperarousal symptoms of PTSD predict development of persistent pain. These psychological risk factors can identify injury victims at risk for chronic pain, and our data suggests some targets for focused assessment and potential treatment throughout the acute and subacute time periods. So in sum, EMA using automated text messaging systems can efficiently detect early relationships between psychosocial symptoms and pain among recently injured emergency department patients. The study design might actually be useful for measuring other types of symptom fluctuations across time, and in-depth methodological studies should determine the appropriate timing, frequency, and mode of delivery of daily prompts via EMA. Fantastic. Thanks, Dr. Pasella. Um, Very interesting learning about your research in post-traumatic stress symptoms, and I wanted to thank you personally for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Don't forget to hit the full text of this article on our blog, brownemblog.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes and Lee Rosevere. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.